The hosts of Common Sense Investing have been helping their clients and listeners make sense of the markets for nearly three decades. Using a conservative, diversified, value-oriented approach to investing, they strive to make you a better educated, well-informed investor. And now here's your host, Eric Whiteman. I hope everyone had a terrific Thanksgiving. It sounds like most of you spent at least some of the time getting in some shopping. From a quick glance at the news, we're setting new retailing records. According to Adobe Analytics, Cyber Monday brought in nearly $8 billion for the retailers, and it was the best single day ever for Amazon. MasterCard is forecasting a 25% jump in e-commerce. I guess this really shouldn't be a surprise. The economy continues to grow. Unemployment's at a record low. Consumer confidence is high. As a matter of fact, I should be getting a few deliveries here myself. Thank you and welcome to this edition of Common Sense Investing. I'm your host, Eric Whiteman, partner here at the XML Financial Group. If you want to learn more about us and what we do, visit us at our website. It's xmlfg.com. Once again, it's xmlfg.com. Today, I have a lot of ground to cover. I'm I'm going to try to put five pounds of stuff into a three-pound bag. And like sausage making, well, it may not be pretty, but we'll get it done. I'm going to be talking about what's happening in the oil patch. We'll talk about the home improvement retailers, the airlines, and I'm even going to give you my best speculative idea, which doesn't happen very often. So keep listening. First, let's talk about the markets for a second. The markets have essentially been the same for what, about eight weeks now? We hit new highs on the S&P back in late September, early October, and it's really been downhill ever since. The good news is that the market valuation has been reset. We're trading somewhere around 15 times next year's earnings, and I'm thinking this is a good place to be adding quality holdings. If you're a long-term investor, I think you'll probably be able to be finding some deals out there, deals that you'll be happy with. Who knows when we work our way out of this rut? I can't time it, so I'm not even going to try. I'd like to see us have at least one day, if not two days, of overwhelming buying to signal the start of a new leg up. By overwhelming, I mean 10 to 1 upside volume. But I don't need that to buy great businesses inexpensively. I can do that now. You know, as bad as the financial markets have been over the last two months, it's been worse for oil. Oil has fallen about 25, 30% in the last couple of months. So what's this all about? If you tune into one of the financial channels, you're going to see this debate going on to whether it's too much supply or not enough demand. And I guess you could make a very convincing argument either way or that it's both. I think we need to look further. What caused this imbalance? Is it permanent? Is it temporary? And what do we as investors do? If anything, first, I think the decline in oil prices are largely due to a massive supply swing, which caught a lot of folks by surprise, including myself. With the stroke of a pen, over a million barrels a day 
of Iranian oil will return to the global markets. The White House did an about face in relation to its stance on Iran and allowed waivers for exports. So, a market that was characterized by tight inventories and questionable spare capacity was suddenly flipped over to a market facing a supply glut. It would be more concerning to me if it was a lack of demand, because that would be a sign of bad things are coming down the pike. Less demand for oil means less miles driven, fewer goods being transported, and less air travel. You get it. Less trade, less industry, less employment. Not good stuff. Yes, trade has cooled off a bit, but miles driven are still rising. Payrolls are still increasing. The U.S. economy is still alive and well. Both the Atlanta Fed and the New York Fed They're both projecting real fourth quarter growth of 2.5%. And the Atlanta Fed model is actually projecting 3% growth. The bottom line is, is that I view this as an unexpected supply glut. And it's lesser of a concern than a demand shortfall. I think oil and by default oil stocks move higher over the next 12 months. But there are things that we want to watch. There's an OPEC meeting in a couple of weeks, and we'll see if they cut production to blunt the effect of the Iranian waivers. We'll also have to keep our eye on global demand, obviously. Now, a bad time for energy investors may actually be a good thing for the airlines. I'm not a huge fan of the airlines, never have been. But there may be some opportunities here for those of you so inclined. With the collapse in oil prices, jet fuel prices have come down. And most airlines, or I should say a lot of the airlines, don't hedge their fuel costs. Not only have jet fuel prices come down, but the demand for travel remains pretty upbeat. Consumer confidence is sky high and consumer spending is running at a good clip. In fact, A larger portion of the consumer's wallet is being used for air travel. That's a trend that's been gaining steam and one I'll talk about more about later. And it's showing up in the airline's load factors, basically butts and seats. That's pushing up to a cyclical high. Revenue per available seat is gaining momentum too. As a result of all this, the airlines have been successfully raising selling prices. So to put it all together, you have good demand, rising prices, and one of the biggest costs, fuel, is coming down. These stocks have a couple of good quarters in front of them. My favorite airline is Federal Express, symbol FDX. They've grown their earnings by about 16% a year on average for the last five years. And it's trading about the cheapest it's been for the last 15 years. Right now, they're forecasting another record holiday season. As we see, that's coming to fruition. And they also pointed out that they won't be applying peak surcharges for residential deliveries like UPS is. Global growth is slowing down from a frantic pace that it was on, but here are a couple of ways that FedEx plans to grow. Come January, they're raising the base rates almost 5% for both 
the express in the ground delivery uh, businesses and nearly 6% on heavy freight. They're also rolling out Saturday deliveries year round, not just during the holidays, but year round. I think this is a better than average company selling for less than the average company. Value Line expects them to earn $17.5 next year, which is just around the corner. And if that's right, then the stock is trading about 12 times next year's earnings. And the market is trading somewhere around 15 times. They have a terrific balance sheet and they're pretty darn predictable. You can look at some of the other names like Southwest Airlines, symbol LUV, or Alaska Air, symbol ALK, United, UAL. But I'm sticking with FedEx for my airline. Let me stop right there. We need to take a quick break. And when we come back, I'm going to give you my best speculative idea. And I'm going to pour a couple of things online here while we're away. We'll be back in just a moment. You've worked hard. You've saved and invested. Now you want to make sure all your hard work pays off. Now's the time to start planning for that future. Hi, this is Eric Whiteman of the XML Financial Group. No two people have the same goals and values. We can help you craft a framework for making a lifetime of smart financial decisions that's right for you. Now's the time to get the advice you deserve. Call us at 301-770-5234. Well, thank you and welcome back to this edition of Common Sense Investing. I'm your host, Eric Whiteman. So glad you could join me today. Before we went to the break, I said that Federal Express symbol FDX was my favorite airline. And that's kind of tongue in cheek, obviously. But like the airlines, I think the air freight and logistic companies look interesting. They've been bouncing along the bottom for the better part of the past year now, and they look like they've formed a good base that they can take off from, pun intended. If you don't like FedEx for some reason, you could look at a couple of the others like UPS or CH Robinson, symbol CHRW. Both have really good balance sheets, not as good as Federal Express, but very respectable. UPS isn't growing as fast as Federal Express. They've grown their earnings at about 7% on average over the last five years. But here's the trade-off. FedEx only pays a dividend of just over 1%, where the slower-growing UPS pays a dividend well over 3%. Some people like chocolate, some people like vanilla. Do you want a potentially faster-growing business or more of a dividend? That's the question. UPS is trading at about $110 a share. And if they earn the $7.80 that they're expected to earn next year, well, then they're trading at about 14 times earnings. When I go back and sort through the data, I find that the average for the last 15 years has only been as low as 16. So obviously, this is trading about as cheap as it has been for the last 15 years. There's no doubt that the stronger dollar 
and slowing global trade are headwinds for these companies. But the question you have to answer is, are they trading cheap enough for a patient investor? Another one you might want to look at is C.H. Robinson. As I said, it's symbol C.H.R.W. Now, this is a different animal than FedEx or UPS, but it's in the same category, the freight and logistics category. It's trading hands around $90 and it's paying a 2% dividend. CHRW is what you call asset light, meaning they don't own planes and trucks and all that sort of stuff. If you have something to ship, and we're talking about big stuff here, like 20 tons of fresh produce, you call them and they arrange it with their network of carriers. This CHRW isn't as capital intensive as FedEx or UPS, and they don't have that sort of fixed cost that the other two have. When times get tough, that means that C.H. Robinson can scale down a whole lot easier than FedEx or UPS. And it's the same story here. They're trading about as cheap as they ever have, or in a very long time. It's cheaper now than it was during the financial crisis. Let's switch gears here. Longtime listeners know that I loved the home improvement retailers for a good long while, and I've changed my mind on them. In a well-constructed portfolio, you'll have core stocks, the ones you want to own forever, you know, your BFFs, best friends forever. Then you have those types of businesses that are more cyclical. The cyclical ones are the one you you really have to watch. With the home improvement retailers, I'm a little bit concerned. I could be wrong, but it looks to me like fixed residential investment as a percentage of GDP has peaked. It's up 50% from the trough to its recent highs, whereas the home improvement retailers, that category, performance is up 170% during that same time. These stocks have come down over the last month, but hasn't everything? It just seems to me like all the good news is baked into the home improvement cake. I still like the home builders because of the value I see, but I'm definitely less constructive on the home retailers, home improvement retailers. Over the holiday, I got to catch up with some old friends and clients, and, and they were giving me a hard time. Now, all these people are, are value investors, but they also like to take on some risk now and again. And there's nothing wrong with that. It doesn't make them bad people. Heck, I like to have a certain percentage of my portfolio in higher risk growth type companies myself. Maybe 10 or 20% should probably be in growth types investments because yeah, sometimes they work. When I do it, I do it with my eyes wide open. Just because I'm investing in more speculative type businesses doesn't mean I want to suffer a permanent loss of capital. So, They're giving me a hard time because it's been a while, actually a long while since I've talked about one of these types of stocks. So today I'm going to give you one of my speculative favorites. Now you need to do your own research and see if it's right for you. You Just don't buy something because I talk about it here on the podcast or maybe you read an interesting article on something. No, you have to do your own research. So here's my holiday, early holiday gift to you. Booking Holdings or what you may recognize as Booking.com. It's symbol BK 
ING. And they operate six primary brands, Booking.com, Pricing.com, Kayak, Agoda, Rentalcars.com, and Open Table. As I mentioned earlier, people are spending more on travel and experiences, and it doesn't look like it's going to slow down anytime soon. So when people want to go somewhere, what do they do? Well, they go online. They go to Expedia or to Booking.com so they can bundle their flight and hotel and maybe save some money. I like the model that Booking has, say, compared to an Expedia both as a customer and as an investor, uh, as an investor. The difference is, is when you go to booking and I'm going to just stop saying .com from here on out. When you go to booking, it's an agency model as opposed to a merchant model. Meaning with booking, I can pay for my hotel after my visit instead of upfront. This model has allowed them to create what I call this circle of growth. It drove more people to book through them, and that in turn drove hotel inventory to the site, which drives more people to the site, and so on and so on. At the end of last year, Booking had about 400,000 traditional hotel properties compared to Expedia, which has a bit more than 440,000. So Expedia has a little bit more, but Customers booked 673 million room nights in 2017 versus 312 million through Expedia. Basically, Booking.com, Booking booked more than twice as many as Expedia. It also is a top 10 mobile travel app in 114 countries, whereas Expedia was number 17 and TripAdvisor was number 20. And that was as of last month. Together, Expedia and Booking have built up this wall. Together, they have about 30% of the market and the other 70% is pretty highly fragmented. Two things here. That means there's more room for growth because Together, they only have 30% of the market, and it's enough to make it really hard for someone new to enter the market and gain share. I think Expedia and Booking are going to be battling it out here unless, and this is the sticky wicket, as they say, unless someone like Google or Amazon decide to enter the market, which they could do, but I think it might be a problem for them with all the calls for new regulations, a focus on privacy, and just folks complaining that they've just gotten too darn big. For now, I'm picking booking. I think they've been able to build up scale in all the key markets, especially Europe and Asia. Now, they don't generate a ton of free cash flow, but they do generate free cash flow, just not a ton of it. They've been buying back stock. They've been reducing their debt. But most of the money they make is being pumped back into the business so they can continue to grow scale. And that money that they pump back into the business is generating high rates of return. The return on shareholder equity hasn't gone below 30% for 15 years. So let's get to the nitty gritty of it and look at valuation. 
earnings have grown at about 24% a year for the last five years on average. And that slowed down from an average of 42% a year for the last 10 years. The average analyst estimate for earnings next year is just over $100 per share. And with the stock trading at $1,800, well, even small school children should be able to tell you that it's trading at about 18 times next year's earnings. Well, maybe not small school children, but maybe middle schoolers. It was just slightly cheaper during the financial crisis. But for the speculative minded, I think BNKG is a buy around 1800 Now, that's about all we have time for today. We'll be back next Wednesday. Until then, remember... It's just as important to protect your assets as it is to grow them. Okay, you've listened to the show. Now it's time for the really good stuff. So listen up. It's the disclosures. The things I talked about during the show, well, they're just my opinion and may or may not necessarily be those of the XML Financial Group. Don't construe this as personalized advice or a solicitation to buy or sell a security. No, no. You should consult your own financial advisor to see if it's appropriate for you. It's also not a substitute for tax or legal advice. I'd suggest you get someone who's qualified in these areas so you can get the advice you deserve. When you're talking about asset allocation, diversification, rebalancing, they don't guarantee better results and they don't eliminate the risk of losses. In investing, there are no guarantees. Just because you use these strategies doesn't mean you'll outperform someone or something who doesn't. XML Financial LLC is an independent registered investment advisor.